Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. Doomsday is upon us, my friends. We're talking Doomsday Clock number one from DC, the follow-up to Rebirth and the sequel to Watchmen that nobody asked for. I'm your host, Anthony Composto. I'm also the editor of the comic book section on Monkeys Fighting Robots. Joining me in the conversation, as always, is my co-host, co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com, Matt Sardo. Woohoo! And we're, are we recording on the 25th anniversary of the death of Superman? We are! I was going to mention that. I didn't know if you saw that. Yeah, it's the anniversary. That is crazy. And uh, to all you interweb people that we love talking to and chatting with, if you like the show, subscribe on Block Talk Radio. Uh, we're on iTunes. I think it's isn't it, iPod, isn't it called Podcast now? Apple Podcasts? Yeah, it's the app on the iPhone, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to update our, our check sheet here. Uh, we're also on Stitcher. Uh, feedback is very welcome. Please comment and tweet us. Let us know how we're doing and what books we should be reading. And as always, the comic show is sponsored by Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. There are a ton of trades and graphic novels coming out every week. And actually, this is a big week at Uncanny Heroes because Doomsday Clock comes out. So check out Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. Uh, graphic novels are 25% off every day. Uncanny Heroes is located at 12904 North 56th Street in Temple Terrace. If you're not from here, Temple Terrace is basically in Tampa. It's by USF, right by Bush Gardens. It's all in that little murky era of Tampa. Check them out on the web at uncannyheroes.com and like them on Facebook at Uncanny Heroes Tampa. Support your local comic book store. And this past weekend was local comic book shop day. So hopefully everyone got out to Uncanny Heroes or whatever their local comic shop was and uh, and supported them. Well, if you're in Lakeland, you can go to the other Uncanny Heroes. That's the second time you've plugged their Lakeland store on this show. Well, every time you lead into a conversation about other comic book stores, and I was like, well, you know, I happen to know another one. That's called yeah. Uncanny Heroes. It's the double dip. The double dip. I like, are we on Seinfeld now? <laughs> he did the double dip. Uh, speaking of Seinfeld, uh, weren't they on in 92? They were. That was the Seinfeld era. Solid transition, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta say, I'm a fan of that. Yeah, uh, so Doomsday Clock takes place in the 90s. 92. November... 22nd 1992 or maybe it's the 23rd as it starts that's the first line of doomsday clock is setting it up like this uh so first reactions we kind of started talking first reactions before we recorded and i feel like we're both kind of on the same page with it i can't believe somebody just honked at you apparently they're somebody's fan- honked at me. I- apparently they're <laughs> doomsday clock fans too they're very excited <laughs> <laughs> with comic books and with series like this and and i've oh, even i even talk about this with movies my analogy or my metaphor is being a DJ with these books. You have 12 issues, so the music or the books need to carry you to emotional highs and lows, and they need to peak at certain times, and then it needs to round off really well so that the audience is pumped and cheering and get to dance and all this crazy stuff that can move and shake in these 12 issues. And with single issues... My biggest thing is I need to want to buy issue number two right now. So that's like my standard of critiquing like a maxi series and then a first issue. Yeah, and and we have had this conversation before with Mr. Miracle and a bunch of other maxi series or mini series is 
some you know the argument is sometimes made oh it'll read better in the trade it'll read you know better when it's all completed but you're 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 right you have to sell a single issue so you can't you know short sell a single issue i did i enjoyed this issue but it's it's very exposition heavy like this issue we kind of you know is 90% watchmen sequel and then like you know the end starts to kind of you know, lead the way, but it's it's very text heavy. It's very exposition. It's catching everyone up what's happened since Watchmen, and there was no there's no moment like you were just saying that kind of like you know pumped me way up. Like I was interested, I was engrossed, but there was nowhere where I looked at the next page and I was like, holy shit! Like there was nothing that really. It, it was a slow burn, is what I'm trying to say. And if we're talking about a stylistic critique of the book, is the original Watchmen. I should have just pulled it off the shelf so I had it. This book looks like the original Watchmen with how it's set up and, and how it's framed and everything like that. Nine panel grids. The medium has evolved past nine panel grids. Tom King would beg to differ. <laughs> Tom King's like, listen, the 27 grid page is where we need to go with this. So I understand for the feel of like, oh, we want this to be Watchmen-esque, but Jeff Johns is like one of the best writers in the industry. I mean, let him do what he wants to do. And I I, I do love reading his stuff. Like his, his work and his dialogue are always really solid with that. You know, it's I'm, I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going with this one because like I'm you and I both established that we're not fans of the Watchmen. And I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a huge Watchmen fan. I gotta say. And I think Alan Moore's done a lot better work than Watchmen. I've reread that book like three different times, and I'm like, am I missing something? Am I like, am I not getting? Yeah. What everybody else in the world is getting when it comes to Watchmen? I know it's so different than everything else at the time, but I'm also a classic hero guy, so to have this like angsty tale. And where the good guys are the bad guys and all that. So I was like, yes. Uh, I feel, and, and again, Identity Crisis, I feel like does a Watchmen thing better. But that also is influenced by Watchmen. So you can't have one without the other. But I'm a fan of Identity Crisis more than I am of Watchmen. So hopefully I've evened out my nerd cred with the, with the listeners. A, a little bit. And I do <laughs> want to say that. Even though there are criticisms, I did. I enjoyed this issue, and I recommend picking up. I think it's going good places. I don't mind the darkness of Watchmen. That's not, you know, I, my issue with it. I just, I just don't enjoy the story myself. I don't mind going dark places. I don't mind heroes that, you know, are kind of dark mirrors and stuff like that. I, I like Rorschach. I like Doctor Manhattan. I think they're cool characters. Uh, I, it was crazy to me though. You mentioned Jeff Johns. I'm a big fan of Jeff Johns' work too. This did not feel like a Jeff Johns book because it's dark. And he's usually he's the one who's writing like, you know, Rebirth and Flash stories where Wally's like, you know, being fun and jokey and he's bringing back Green Lantern and he's like, you know, bright and stuff. This was a really weird, different turn for him trying to write Rorschach's voice that it didn't feel like a Jeff Johns book to me, even though it obviously is. And I, I just want to say real quick that the nine panel grid rocks. I'm a big supporter of this nine panel grid. I just have to say. All right. We're going to talk about spoilers now because this isn't going to go out till Wednesday, right? This episode will be out on Wednesday, yes. Right, so we're not going to release it today. We're recording Sunday because the book came out Sunday, but reviews are actually going to hit at like 3 a.m. on the East Coast time uh, for this book, like non-spoiler reviews. But we're going to hit some spoiler reviews. So 
So I'm going to say spoiler three times, and then I'm going to drop some shit. So spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. You've been warned that the spoilers are coming. The best part of this book for me was that this was not Rorschach. See, I didn't care for that. Like, I was not uh, I was not huge on that whole element. I Because I like Rorschach. But that's fine. But, like, you would... I feel like you piss on burning teeth of Alan Moore if... Or you wouldn't piss on the burning teeth of Alan Moore if you bring Rorschach back because he kind of exploded. He did, and that's why I was interested to see how they would have worked it out. I mean, they're pissing on Alan Moore anyway because he doesn't want this. He didn't want a Watchmen sequel. But, you know, they could have worked. I mean, they're they're working the Watchmen into the DC Universe with the whole premise being that Dr. Manhattan reworked history and moved mountains and brought people back from the dead and you know and so it would have been a quick switch to bring the original rorschach back but but and, and who's would, to say that they won't still bring him back they, that's a possibility but when you start just waving a magic wand and changing history the suspension of disbelief is harder and harder every time you just do a broad stroke and be like oh dr manhattan can just you know, it's like the Scarlet Witch making saying that there's no more mutants. Like those are, it's really hard for those right. things to work. And I'm trying to think of the other ultra powered characters that just change shit, just broadly. And you're like, ah, shit. I do think it's gonna happen. I do think we're getting Rorschach back. But now having read it and seeing what they did, and because it is more of a Watchmen sequel and catching people up on you know what's been going on with Ozymandias and everyone else, it makes sense that Rorschach's not there yet. Like, he shouldn't be there because they're dealing with the fallout of wars and controversies and blah, blah, blah. Later on, after Manhattan does his little timey-wimey, wobbly, flobbly, you know, work, then it would make more sense for Rorschach to be there. See, I'm going to cut you off. No, I'm fine with Batman having Rorschach's notebook and just working off of that. Because I honestly, I mean, I'm uh, uh, honestly... I don't want the Watchmen to have a huge influence in the DC universe. So the least amount of them that come over or that get worked into the universe is better for me. You're not the only person that feels that way either. I did like the I thought the politics were cool in this book. There's a lot of political stuff, especially early on, that mirrors our reality, which Jeff John said there would be. There's a lot of allusions, not only to like Trump and the Trump administration, but you know, this new Rorschach he bashes not only the far right, but also the far left. And you know, he bashes the liberals who they say, like, you know, their tolerance is a one-way street. And, you know, so he's, he's bashing both sides. Both sides. There's hidden problems on both sides, and Jeff Johns is taking them on. And I thought it, I thought it was interesting, and especially because it was, it was in the beginning and then, you know, kind of went down the Watchmen path. I don't know if I would have been with it the whole way through, but I thought it was clever. Again, I'm going to go back to this Rorschach thing. It's intri- like it is a very tropey thing to have a masked character and part of the 12 issues is going to be the reveal of who it is but for some reason I'm really intrigued on who it could be under the mask. Do you think it's someone that we would know? I I was I th- originally uh, initially I was like, "Oh, is that the Silk Spectre?" Cuz that would make sense to me. I don't think it's going to be Oh, Silk Spectre from Watchmen? Yeah, or, or Owlman. But he's a black guy, the new Rorschach. Okay. Those are... I'm telling, I'm, as I'm reading it, this is how I went through it. Like, in my head, I was oh, like, okay, oh. okay, I got you. But then I'm like, okay, who... 
Who is it? I don't think it's anyone that we we know. Like it's 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 not Silk Spectre or Night Owl because it's a different race. But I also don't think it's anyone that we would know from the main DC universe, obviously, because they haven't intertwined yet at this point in the story. So and that's kind of the point of Rorschach too, right? Is that he's a faceless man? Like you don't really, no one knew Walter Kovacs either. I think that you know so. Interesting. And and then, you know it's funny. It's it's how we all look at things and the different lenses we look through things like. When I saw that panel at the end, I initially just didn't go to it being a black guy when they show the hand. You know, I was like, oh, it's dark, it's whatever, it could be tan, it could be anybody. Like, I didn't actually, like, put anybody to it. But, you know, that's the sociology of comic books and Matt Sardo. You know, I mean, I, I was, it's kind of like we were talking about the other last week with the Batman Who Laughs and, like, who the Joker had wrapped up in the bandages. Like, you know, if, if you're trying to figure out who a character is, you got to pay attention to things like that, like race, race, gender, you know, the little little details like that, you know, to, to put it together. Right. That's the thing is, like, I saw it as a male hand, but I was like, it's an like the color of it. Like it could be. It could be a, it could be any race. I mean, you look on the you look on the the page following the reveal of the hand, like the next page. Right. And that second panel where he's handing there the note. You can see both of their hands in there, and you can just you can see the stark difference in who it is. It could be the Islamic Green Lantern. It could be. I don't want to get lost in the weeds <laughs> on the ethnicity of the new Rorschach either. Like, there's a lot of other cool stuff to discuss. Our listeners are all just like tuning out as soon as we started like just going down this weird rabbit hole. Uh, I thought these new characters they introduced were cool. The ones that Rorschach broke out of jail, like the bat, the we- the badass mime, sick in the head, twisted son of a bitch, and his wife. I want to know what what Punch have, and Judy. Did we, did we, Is it Punch and huh? Judy? I'm trying to think of who they were. They're based on Charleston characters. Oh, they're Charleston characters as well. Yes. Because okay. I want I, we didn't see like what her powers or abilities were yet, right? No, we did not see who their powers and who their powers are yet. Oh, I'm scrolling through it now and just oh the nine panel grid. <laughs> I just enjoy it so much. So bad. It's so no, bad. No, dude, there are so many. There are videos on YouTube. You can go watch this. Um, videos on YouTube about the nine panel grid. And they talk about the many different ways that it's you know, utilized and the cool things you can do with it. And most of the videos honestly use Tom King comics. So there's awesome videos showing how it was used in the vision and Batman and, Oh, I, I'm Omega man. Like I'm down with the nine panel grid. And now after watching those videos, I'm always, you got to pay attention to the center panel in the nine panel grid, like center row, center panel, the middle of the page, Tom King himself has said like he, as a writer, I don't know about Jeff Johns, but Tom King as a writer, he uses that middle panel to really, emphasize something and hit it home so like i'm reading doomsday clock and every middle panel i'm like what does this mean what's going on in this panel marionette and mime are based on the charleston characters punch and jewel julie what did julie do no, that's that's i can't tell oh okay <laughs> okay i uh i'm a big fan of gary frank as an artist i love when him and jeff johns work together Gary Frank draws like one of the coolest Superman in the world. Like he draws a Superman that looks just like Christopher Reeves. If you ever read like Jeff Johns Superman work, like it's awesome. It's on the money Christopher Reeves and his Ozymandias here kind of looks like Christopher Reeves to be honest with me. To be honest with you. You can be honest with yourself. I'm honest. I'm I'm just going to be an honest guy. I'm just honest with no, everybody. No, the, the Jeff Johns Gary Frank uh, Superman Origins is a really great read. 
uh, and the artwork in that is just phenomenal. I'm trying to think of, I don't know if he, Osmandia, I'm just trying to think of where this thing is going. He's got cancer. From Dr. Manhattan or whatever happened in Watchmen where, you know, arguably. Again, with the nine panel gr grids or panel, nine panels, whatever you want to call it, like you tie one of Gary Frank's arms behind his back when you do this. No, you don't, because it gives him a chance not only to draw cool images, but like it gives him the chance to like use time differently, it, you know, pacing differently. It really lets him use symbolism and and, you know, mirror images. And there's so many cool things that you can do with the nine panel grid that hit on like a thematic level, not okay. just like a visual level. Good for you. Um... <laughs> oh, that wasn't even a good use of it. Like that wasn't even like a good good for you. No, because I have to cut you off because. On page 15, when Mime gets done with doing his heinous acts, he kind of strikes a pose, and then the next panel has a face and it has blood on him. I would have loved to see that being a sprawling one page. Like, that's where you get to, like, an artist can just, like, just really impress you and really, and then you'd have all the carnage of the victims around him, and it would just, you know, you'd have the fear of the of the cop in the background like there's so many things you can do with one giant page that this eight panel page could not accomplish well you know they're not beholden to a nine panel grid on every page there's plenty of pages in here where they play with the structure and they combine panels or they do like a half a splash or a full splash like they could have done that if they wanted to it was a conscious decision by Johns and Frank to do it the way that they did in so my like, you know, in my conscience, it's like stop doing it. All right. Can we talk about Superman now? He's only in it for like a page. I know, and like I, I don't know if I'm again. This is just a, a problem of having expectations, you know, because I didn't know what to expect about this book. I maybe expected it to be more of a rebirth follow up, and it ended up being more of a Watchmen sequel, and. I was hoping that we were going to get more, you know, Dr. Manhattan, more Superman. We're going to see more stuff already. But I, I get it. They needed to establish where we are post-Watchmen. They need to establish, you know, what's been going on. You know, Ozymandias is found out and the journal got published and all that stuff. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more Superman, but I really like what we got with Superman. And again, the nine-panel grid did it for me these last few pages because he has his nightmare and – which is New 52 continuity, by the way. You know, we started to talk about this off air that they, they kept the New 52 continuity of Pa and Ma Kent dying in a train wreck, a car crash, rather. And I don't know if I care for that. Can't say I do, especially because Jeff Johns, you know, did Superman's, you know, Pa Kent's death, right? That was that was a Jeff John comic where he had the heart attack and he couldn't save him and... Gary Frank might have even drawn that one, to be honest, but I guess they're sticking with this one. But I really liked Gary Frank's work. And again, the way he uses the nine panel grid, where panel by panel, he's like, you know, he zooms in on Clark's face. And then, like, you know, after the nightmare, like, you know, he zooms out of it and every panel gets a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And again, it's mimicking the isolationism that we're getting from Clark, that he's feeling in his nightmare. And. You know, when you're pulling out and pulling in and you see him and he's getting further away and it really it really mimics that feeling and that theme of, you know, loneliness and isolation. And I, and I dug it. 
And, and uh, you say all you want about the nine panel grid. I thought it worked really well in these last few pages, especially on that last page when he wakes up from the nightmare and it starts, boom, close up on his, you know, right up on his face. And then every panel just takes a step back, a step back, a step back until him and Lois are just like these tiny little blips in arguably Dr. Manhattan's shadow because he just got that blue light coming in through the window. I thought it was a, a great page. And that's more of like cinematography than panel layout i mean like but that's what the artist does with the panel layout no the shot selection that they choose to draw is different than the panel layout like there's the nine panels and you can put whatever you want in those panels but like what you're describing there and it is very i guess the last page of the book is is, is cinematically gorgeous you know where you have the bright eyes of clark and like you said it just slowly gets smaller and it pins out, and then it leads to the end, to the darkness of the end. And you're like, oh, this is brilliant. But that's just like an awesome cinematic shot. I don't, I think you could do that without the nine panel grid. <laughs> Fine, I, I'm not. I'm obviously not going to win you over on the nine panel grid today. And on, page, not the and day on, for and that. on page 29, I'd have to say I'm a huge fan of the 12 panel grid that they used on that one. Uh, no, I'm not a huge fan of the 12 panel grid. <laughs> that's fine. That's that's fine. Again, I I do think that the last few pages of this book were the you know the best pages. And again, this maybe this is just me being more of a DC like you know Superman fan than a Watchmen fan. But those last few pages are what really sold me on this series moving forward. And and I want to know what's up with this. Like why he's having these nightmares. How it's involved with Doctor Manhattan. You know he says he's never had a nightmare before. So why is he having them now? And those last few pages are what sold me on this book more than all of that Watchmen sequel stuff even though that was that was cool and it was interesting to see and whatever but i, I want to get more to the meat of this superman story the problem is dc calls this the most anticipated book of the year the most you know it's definitely the most hyped book of the year which means the shit is overhyped this definitely did not give me enough intrigue to want to buy issue two if i'm being honest uh which i try to be with you the listener all the time honestly to a good relationship, but I'm reading it. And I was like, Yeah, I probably should just wait for the trade and just read it all together. <laughs> it probably will read really well as a trade, it's probably going to read better as a trade. Me, I, re- I thought it was a, a, a visually gorgeous book. I thought Gary Frank has done some of his best work on this book. Uh, I think thematically it was really good. There's a lot of good themes. You know, there's, a, there's the political stuff, which is always interesting, but there's really, like I said, good themes of loneliness and isolationism and. You know, any, any, whenever you can do like any book that is a Watchmen sequel or deals in Watchmen lore, you're going to have some, you know, deep themes in there. Uh, I think it'll I think it'll pay off, you know, down down the road. I think next issue is probably where it's going to hit. I think this was like, you know, an exposition issue like, hey, let's introduce you to this world. I think issue two, it's going to kick it into gear. And I think that's what's probably going to sell me more on Doomsday Clock with Doomsday Clock. And I had it all in my head, and then I was listening to what you said, and I was like, yeah, I hear you. I hear what's going on. When they introduced Doomsday Clock with Wally West coming back and Batman finding the button, like... Rebirth, you mean? Right, but that's when they introduced Doomsday Clock. Okay. You know, that there's a fragment that's going on in the universe, universes, or however you want to talk about the uh, the DC brand um but that moment was like an oh shit moment where you're like oh my god i don't know what's going on here 
And I'm trying to figure out what they could have had to have that oh shit moment in here. Because Doomsday Clock number one, technically, it's a really amazing book. But I feel like it has no heart. I see what you mean. I, I do see what you mean, absolutely. It's, it sounds harsh, and I'll admit it, and I'm sure you'll get some pushback from that, but I, I, I do see what you mean. It did seem like it kind of... There was no, like I said, there was no oh shit moment like Batman finding the button or Barry you know, pulling Wally out of the speed force. There wasn't a moment like that. And I'm trying to... Th- I, it depends on where they're going to go with the story, so what I'm going to suggest might not work with the overall plot at all, but I feel like it would have been something that met the two worlds like there's like they're saying we don't know where dr manhattan is like where could he be blah, blah, blah. if on these last few pages you see something of dr manhattan in metropolis or something like that you know and there's like a page of him crossing over or if we see like a split in reality or if there was like some kind of there was something like that you know dr manhattan meeting somebody you know or or uh, or Ozymandias talking to Lex Luthor or, or or some some crazy freaking like cross like that that would have been like the holy shit moment. But I I don't know if that works with where they're going. But it would have worked for me. Yeah, no, I, I mean I'm in my head I was like okay going through all the things like if we saw Alaman at the last page and he's like Ozymandia can't beat us to the heroes or something like just said some one line. Yeah. You know, like so that they we you kind of you at that point in time, then you kind of get an idea of where the story's going. Like Osmandia, and you know, again, this is all me making up shit right now off the spot. But like, you have Owlman and Osmandia racing to try to get to the DC heroes first. You know, because Osmandia mm-hmm. is like this is the full blown liar, so he could sh- go show up and be like, "I'm a hero, you're a hero, help me." And then like, there's the twist there, but uh, you don't get any of that stuff. Or if you, or if you saw like the original Rorschach on the last page. If there was something, like a finger or something, like, you know... Yeah. Something... It, it needed some kind of reveal like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think something, either what you were saying or what I, I... I like what you were saying, even just introducing some of the other Watchmen characters. That would have worked even better than things that I was suggesting, because I don't see why there's no reason that that couldn't work. What are you giving this book as a grade? I'm... It's, you know, like I said, it's technically... A really good book. So I'm like, it's a solid four. But like to get into that next category where it's like 4.25 or 4.5 or 4.7 or even the amazing five, like there's got to be some wow moments in there. And there could be wow moments in the next 11 issues to where we go. We should keep a chart of how so we can do like an overall average. Yeah, I think that's a great. And we're going to we'll revisit this issue for sure. And as this series for sure, as it goes on, you know, even if it's just, you know, quick updates here, you know, just to see how we're doing, how we're feeling about it, because this is the big DC event that we've been waiting for, you know, since it was announced. So, we'll we'll follow up, and I'm gonna I'm sticking with you. I think a four is good. You know, like I said, there's a lot to like about this book. It just didn't um, didn't give me like you know that oh shit moment that I was hoping for, and it didn't really have the heart like you were saying. I think, and maybe it's. Not maybe. It's because I'm not a huge Watchmen fan. You're not a big Watchmen fan, and this book was 90% Watchmen sequel. And it, I think it we was were... 90, 90% Watchmen sequel with all the villains, per se. You know, if so, I mean, who's rooting for Osmandia right now? Or, right. you know, so I mean, like, there's that kind of thing when you're reading a book, depending on what you are. Like, you know, if you're a huge Rorschach fan, you're like, oh, that's not Rorschach. Fuck. Like, you know, so that takes you out, yeah. you know, and then you're like, oh, 
I like Owlman. I like Silk Spectre. Like, they're not even in the book yet, you know, and you don't get Dr. Manhattan. So it's like, you know, there's nothing to actually tie you to the book except for that last couple of pages with Superman, which are really powerful, but you're already attached to Superman. Like, it's not right. like... It's not so it's like 90% Watchmen sequel without any of the stuff that made Watchmen worthwhile, yeah. basically. Um, oh, man. I, I was, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Uh, because this is going to change the universe as we know it in the DC universe. And I, I kind of trust Jeff Johns for being that guy. Uh, but it's a little slow out of the gate. It's a little bit. I'm glad to see Jeff Johns back in comics. You know, he took some time off to work on movies and TV. So I'm, I'm glad to see him back. And uh, I trust him as well. Totally on board with this. Like I said, this issue wasn't quite what I was hoping for, but I'm still, you know, definitely reading issue two. Hi, Anthony. It's time for us to go eat some turkey. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host Anthony is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? And there are so many people that made the 21st episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. To all the listeners, you guys have a very merry, holly, jolly Thanksgiving and eat lots of turkey. Even you veggies out there, you eat some turkey too. Uh, definitely go out to Uncanny Heroes in Tampa on Black Friday and save some money and buy tons of comic books. And uh, a very special Thanksgiving shout-out to my co-host, Anthony Compasto. Guys, also make sure to pick up Doctor Strange, issue 381. It came out last week. It's the first issue by Donny Cates with the art team from The Vision, Gabriel Waltz and Jordi Belair. It's an excellent book. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey's Friend Robots logo, or your monkey, or your robot. The staff official realm built our website and keeps it running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkey's Fighting Robots.